Good morning. <clears throat> we continue to uh, start our new year, the year of 2022, off with 40 days of prayer. We are coming to uh, the section uh, of, of the devotional with Christian Missionary Alliance where we're focused on the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at his testing and the temptation with Satan. We've been looking at his ministry, his spirit-equipped, spirit-filled ministry. And today, there's a little bit of a, it's interesting because we're following along in Luke and we come to chapter 5 and there's a little bit of a change or a shift. Luke has been um, focused almost specifically on Jesus, his ministry, his his message, and then suddenly we have this, um, in a way, a parenthesis where he calls his disciples. And uh, Luke gives us some details. He gives us some insights into the call of the disciples that uh, some of the other gospel writers don't give us. So this is Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, uh, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and, and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me. Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Now, this change... Uh, in a sense, in the, in the narrative that Luke is uh, providing for us of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life, is important to understand in the context of both Luke's writing of the Gospel of Luke and, and Luke's writing of the book of Acts. If you'll remember, if you go back to the beginning of Luke, he's writing with one specific person in mind. The name of that person is Theophilus. He says, to my very excellent Theophilus. So in a way, there's a, there, there's clearly the, the, the protagonist of Luke's gospel is certainly the, the story of Jesus. But he has a purpose in providing this story of Jesus that's important for us to remember. And the, the story is... is has this sort of razor-sharp purpose, and that is that 
this person, Theophilus, that they would become a full-out, full-fledged disciple of Christ. That's the significance of this passage, is how do you become a true follower of Jesus? How do you become a Christian, a real Christian? Now, Theophilus, just even the name, you know, means friend of God. So in other words, there's a a seeking in this person. There's a a love for God. But there's perhaps we we can kind of uh, infer from this that or conclude from this that Theophilus wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't quite a Christian yet. Uh, Many scholars uh, say that he was a patron of Luke. If you think about Luke and this whole endeavor of going to the Holy Land, interviewing, researching, because Luke did this as a historian. In many ways, his methodology of compiling the stories is very modern in terms of historical research, eyewitness testimonies, uh, insights, details that other Gospels do not have because Luke went and interviewed the specific persons who were involved with the specific story. So there's a there's a, a credible project that's going on here. And so many scholars believe that Theophilus was the one who was sponsoring Luke's work and providing the resources because this would have been very expensive. And Luke, is, as a physician, could not have, in a way, supported himself as a traveling physician. But we see in this book, we see this incredible desire that Luke has that Theophilus should become a real disciple of Jesus. And so this story, this passage, uh, as there is this call of discipleship, and especially the, the person who is at the forefront of this is Simon Peter, and so this story is so important. This is how, this is a pattern of how Jesus brings someone into true discipleship, how someone becomes a real disciple, a real Christian. And as you read this story, you realize, and you think of it in terms of Luke's trying to show through Peter's conversion, trying to show through the disciples, you know, following Christ. He's trying to show how a person becomes a real disciple. So even though it was for Theophilus, it's really a pattern for all of us. And Peter is the perfect one. In many ways, uh, if you are honest about your own life, Peter, Simon Peter the Apostle, is someone you're always grateful for because he's a real follower of Jesus. He's a real Christian, but he's never the perfect Christian. He's a struggling, stumbling Christian. No one seems to mess up more than Peter. No one seems to say the wrong things like Peter. No one seems to, you know, even be or do the wrong thing at the wrong time like Peter. And yet, he is beloved of Jesus and he is a real disciple. So this story shows us in a a few different categories how a person becomes a real disciple of Christ. The first thing that this story shows is that you really cannot become a disciple of Jesus apart from the word of Jesus. It's really important that that you see how the crowds 
are pressing in on Jesus. They're desperate to be near him. And they want more than anything else. They want to hear his teaching. They want to hear his words. And at first what we see is that Simon Peter is around the word of of Christ. He's around it, but he's busy with his own things. He's washing out the nets. He's cleaning up his boat. He's doing all of these different things. Now he's near the word, but he's not focused and encountering the word. His own work, his own, you know, duties, demands, whatever it is, uh, are what's urgent to him. And, and really, that's what has his attention. And that's what's consuming his time. So he's, he's thinking, I've got to wash out my nets. I've got to get this job done. I've got to get some sleep. And then I've got to go back out there and do this again. And what does Jesus do? Jesus interrupts Peter's agenda. He interrupts his work. And he says, I, you know, basically he says, I have something much more important for you to do. And so he stops, you know, basically just Peter is unable to continue what he's doing and continue what he has planned. He gets interrupted by Jesus. And Jesus wants to connect more deeply, you see, and he wants to be able to reach more of the people. So this, this, you know, this mob of listeners is crowding in on Jesus. And in a way, with, with our Lord's authority and ability, he just directs Peter to get in the boat and to push out a bit so that he can now address from the boat to the shore and reach more and more of the people. And so everything that Peter, everything that Peter had planned for that day is, is completely disrupted. And now, because he's, you know, been given this task of getting the master in the spot where he can teach, now Peter is confronted with the word. Now, you see, Peter's in that area where the whole area is a buzz because Jesus has been casting out demons all day, for days. Jesus has been healing the sick. The, the blind are seeing and the lame are walking and when Jesus speaks you can tell there's authority and and the crowds are flocking to Jesus but the one who has a bird's eye view the one who now has a a seat in the very presence of Jesus is the one who wasn't looking for want that seat wasn't looking for that place whatsoever but now not just hearing about the words of Christ, now he's actually hearing the word of Christ with his own ears. And as he hears it, there are life-changing words from his own boat, from his own boat, right there in the context of his everyday life, the good news of Jesus Christ begins to be something that dawns on Peter for the first time. See, the pattern here is real discipleship begins not just when we hear about the Word, not when we're just around the Word, but when we really begin to hear the words of Christ. I've heard this so many times over the course of my ministry of people saying, you know, I went to church my whole life. 
And then suddenly, suddenly what, you know, what had not made sense to me, what, what seemed like nothing more than noise in my ears, suddenly I could understand. I could see that he was speaking to me. I could hear his words. I've heard this from young people who, you know, their parents forced them to go to church. And then somewhere, 16, 17 years old, all of a sudden they said, it started to make sense to me. The words started to enter into my heart. I heard uh, one man one time say that it was like the uh, teacher on Charlie Brown for most of his life, that wah, wah, wah. And then suddenly the very words of Jesus were encountered and they were heard and they were understood and they were believed. When I first started doing deliverance in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, I used to, exclusively in the beginning, I just would take people through Neil Anderson's Seven Steps to Freedom, and I would just walk them through that, pray the prayers that are there, try to discern you know, what, what their issues were. And we started to see people get transformed. We started seeing people get changed. And so they started to tell other people, friends, relatives, about this transforming power of deliverance. And so we would get phone calls and people would say, can, can I come and meet? And I think I have this, these issues and I think it's spiritual. Would you meet with me? And I started meeting with people and actually people, people were coming from all over the East Coast at, at one point because in those days it was, uh, there were not a lot of people trained in Neil Anderson's methodology and Lisa and I were, so people would come and Sometimes Lisa would be uh, upstairs in our living room doing deliverance, and sometimes I was down in the ba- our basement doing deliverance with the husband, wife upstairs, husband downstairs. It was a interesting time. But I remember specifically that there was this one woman uh, who was going through a very difficult marriage. Very, yeah, she was in her uh, later fifties, had been married for a long time, but had found out her husband was unfaithful and and that there was all of this stuff going on that she had no idea and she was just devastated and she uh, she said can i get you know can i have a meeting go through these steps and so i was i was um going to take her through the steps and i i i prayed and and i suddenly had this realization and this is really you know this is the way the spirit works is he makes you to realize things that you have no way of knowing except that the spirit just kind of drops this knowledge on you and he he clearly was saying do not take her through the steps lead her to christ now this this woman i mean that's the ultimate deliverance is is from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light from spiritual death and the spiritual light, life by being born again. But this woman was convinced. She had been in church her whole life. She had been around the Word her whole life. Uh, but she was a lot like Peter. You know, she was busy. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing in her mind. She was a good person in her mind. She had never, never encountered the words in a life-giving way of Jesus. She probably heard the gospel her whole life. But that day, as the Spirit said, don't take her through the steps, 
share the gospel with her. I shared the gospel. She looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she, she said, in all of my 50, however many years she had lived, in all of my years, I've never heard this. And right then and there, she gave her life to Christ. Now, I can, t- I can tell you, she heard it. She heard it time and time again. But she didn't hear it. She heard about it. But in, those, in that moment, she didn't just hear the logic of the gospel. She didn't just hear the clarity and the beauty of the gospel. What she heard was the very appeal of Jesus. See, it is not, it is not simply giving in to propositional truths. Jesus didn't say, I come bringing you truths. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. The truth is a person. It's the Lord Jesus. And he uses means. He uses, he uses, you know, very fallible means. Preachers, persons, missionaries, fellow workers, family members. But what they're hearing through that person is more than just the words of that person. They're beginning to hear the very voice of Jesus. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice. You know, it's a powerful thing when you realize that at some point to truly be a disciple of Christ, you have to have become a disciple in the context of the very living word of Christ, the word of God, Christ making his appeal to you. But this story doesn't end there with just just the word, which is wonderful that he hears and is life-changing. But he becomes a disciple in the context of the power of Christ. Now, this this part is so important. Just as there is this life-giving moment when you begin to realize that you're hearing something you've never heard before, you're hearing it in a way you never heard it before, there also has to be this opening of the eyes. It's almost like our eyes are completely veiled to the power of Christ around us in our lives at all times. See, once, once your eyes, eyes are open, you look back and you realize God has been pursuing you your whole life. And there were moments where he kept you from death. There were moments where he kept you from really stupid decisions. There were moments where 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 things were orchestrated that you had no idea it was the providence of God. And so it is with Peter. He has no idea that this is the the life-changing moment where he whose life has has been orchestrated by God every step of the way suddenly is face-to-face with the provision of God in the person of Christ. See, he, he knows that Jesus has been powerful. He's been all over the region doing deliverances. Demons are being cast out. He's all over the region doing healings, miracles. Everybody knows about this. As a matter of fact, it's pretty, pretty clear that during this season, this, this time, maybe even that day, or the day before or whatever, that Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. We have that information in the Gospels that, that she, she was sick and, and she got healed. But in, in, in some ways, it never was all that personal. It was a demonstration of power, but it wasn't, he wasn't bringing it in in a place that made him have personal faith in the Lord Jesus. 
And in some ways, there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who say, well, God can do anything. But they don't have the sense that God's favor is upon them or that God's blessing is in their life or that God will. He can, but will He? And so, at some point in this story, Jesus says the message now has to be demonstrated to Peter in power. And this work of Christ has to start making sense. And the, the work of God in his life has to make sense that Jesus doesn't just have power, but that Jesus' power becomes personal. You see, you, most of us sort of understand regard to the power of Jesus in kind of a generic way. But this is when your eyes are open and you start to see that everything in your life is being woven by God. Even what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not just the sensational power of God, though Jesus so longs for Peter to follow him that he shows a sensational demonstration of his power. It's interesting. Jesus allows or works in such a way that it's not during the sermon, not during the message that Peter becomes a disciple. It's after the sermon. So what we see in this that's so beautiful is that Jesus is incredibly observant. All right, so he's on the boat. The fishermen are working. They've been cleaning their nets. They're doing all this. But guess what? There's no fish. Now, it was a common practice that the best time to fish was at night. So they would fish all night. They weren't, they weren't fishing all night because they were lazy. They were fishing all night because that's, or, or because it was recreational. They were fishing all night because that's when you catch fish. But you see, they've had a whole long night of fishing and they have no fish. Now, there are signs in the story, and it's very clear, that these were successful fishermen. James and John, Peter, Andrew, they were, they were partners in a successful fishing business, but they have no fish. They're, they're skilled, professional fishermen, and yet Jesus, a carpenter, says, go out deeper. Well, this is the wrong time of the day to catch fish, period. You don't go in the heat of the day. And the other thing is the deep water is not where they usually went to catch the fish. So all his instructions are counter to the professional's best advice, best practices. So this is a rather unusual miracle that Jesus does. You don't, you don't see Jesus often doing a miracle like this. There's maybe only one or two other times. Because normally when you see Jesus, you see a desperate need or you see a great need. There's been a death. There's been a, a sickness. There's been something that's tremendous need. I mean, one of the principles that is in the Gospels about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't go looking for demons. He goes looking for human needs to be met. And he finds demons. You know, but this isn't like that. This is an unusual one where he lavishes fish on Peter and his partners because he says, go out into the deep, and you know the story probably, but they bring up, start bringing up nets so much that they wonder if their boats are going to sink because they have so much fish. 
why is this story, um, you know, punctuated? Why is the punch here, this lavishing on fish, on people that probably don't really need fish, why is this story here? Well, it's just, this is one of the most important lessons of the entire gospel, if you listen to me. He said, he's ba- Jesus is basically saying this. Look, you, you listen to me when I'm preaching the Bible. You listen to me in the areas like healing the sick, casting out demons, making the blind see the lame walk. You listen to me in that because you see yourself as weak in that and unable to do that. And you see me doing it so you can listen to me in that because you're weak there and I'm strong. But what Jesus is saying is, I, I want you to listen to me even in the areas of your life where you think you are strong. I want you to follow me even in the areas where you think you know best. You see, you see, it's easy in a way to be a disciple who says, yeah, you know, these are the areas I'm weak in, so I'm going to follow the Bible, I'm going to follow Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to repent of, I want you to surrender even the areas you think you're strong in. I want you to surrender in the areas where you believe that you're successful. Christianity is the only, is the only faith, it's the only only like religious structure that I know of that says we don't just repent of our evil, we repent of our good. That we surrender even the areas where we think we have it together. Where we believe we're okay. And we recognize, no, we follow Jesus. We go out into the deep. We go out into the sun. We go out when others wouldn't go out. Not because... We know what's best, but because we know He knows what's best. And, and this is, see, this is the key to real discipleship. If you're only following Jesus when it's convenient, when it makes sense to you, when you know what the reward's going to be, then you're not a real disciple. You're following Him for you. You're not following Him for Him. This is, in many ways, this is the biggest test of discipleship. Do I love God for God, or do I just love God for His blessings? And so it becomes so beautifully illustrated in the story of the fish, where Jesus said, yeah, you listen to me about deliverances. Yeah, you listen to me about healings, but I want you to listen to me about fish. And you think you're an expert. And you think what I'm asking you to do right now has to be wrong. But Peter saw the fish. He saw the fish. And Jesus is saying, I want you to surrender even where you think you're most proficient. And I want you to follow me. Well, the, you know, the third area that you see a pattern here is the response. Peter confesses his sin to Christ. What a powerful passage. It says, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You ever really thought through this story? Thought through what this story means in in terms of that? Because we're we're probably familiar, if you're a a Bible student, you're familiar with this passage of how, how, you know, the boat fills up with fish. It's so much fish. I mean, in that moment, Jesus makes Peter a rich man. 
you know, a lot of us, what would happen is um, we'd say, okay, you know, come join my firm, you know, come be a partner with us so that we'll always have fish. But, but this isn't about finances. It's not about blessing. It's not about fish, is it? There's something really spiritual about this. I think one of the things that happens here, and what you see is you see a breakthrough. Peter's been looking for Jesus his whole life. And suddenly everything he's been looking for is right before him on the boat. See, this is, this is the biblical pattern. It's the kindness of the Lord. It's the filling your boat with fish that leads you to repentance. In a way, you'll never come to Jesus as Savior without first becoming conscious of what a sinner you are. You don't need a savior till you know you don't need a great savior till you know how great your sin is. And it was it's an awesome picture. Now I want to close up our devotional time with this. Jesus's response is so interesting. A response the response you would expect is your sins are forgiven. Cuz he said, I'm a sinful man. But that isn't what he says. He says, "Do not be afraid." From now on, you'll be catching people instead of fish. So, in other words, the biggest issue at that moment that Peter had wasn't just his sin issue. There was a sin issue, obviously, right? But the biggest issue was his fear. So, what was he afraid of? Well, he's a, you know, maybe he's afraid of all these people who are going to see him on his knees before Jesus, weeping and prostrating himself before Jesus, uh, thinking, oh, no, I'm not the big, tough fisherman that they always thought I was. I'm just a broken down, you know, little crybaby kind of thing or something. Could have been people's opinion. Could be the, the fear of what, what is Jesus going to ask of me? What's, what's this going to cost me? What is this going to take? We don't know what the fears were. We just know that there was fear. And so Jesus' first word to a confessing Peter is the same word you and I need to hear. Do not give in to fear. Follow me. Follow me. Whether it's take up your cross and follow me or I'll make you a fisher of men and follow me. Just follow me. Count the cost of being afraid and follow Jesus no matter what. You know, the fear is real. Peter had real fear. He had fear of Jesus. He had fear of people. He had fear of the future. He had fear of failure. And Jesus says what? Do not be afraid. The one thing I've learned about fear is fear doesn't go away easily. And the only way it really goes away is if you have something bigger, something more comforting, something strengthening, something that gives you greater courage than what you're afraid of. Perfect love casts out fear. See, by getting the sin issue out of the way, by saying, I, I am a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior, then what happens is the perfect love and acceptance that you have in Christ before the Father can now take away all your fear. If you are united with Christ, and if Christ is your life, there's nothing left to fear. So Jesus says, fear not. Fear not. So it's hearing the word, 
really hearing the word, encountering the word, the word becoming real to you. It's the power becoming personal, the power of Christ becoming personal. So personal, in fact, that you see your own, even your own strengths being yielded to Christ. You follow him no matter what. You go into the deep. And you take your fears, you surrender it, and you say, Jesus is greater than my fear. The love that God has for me in Christ, because I am in Christ, I am loved as Christ, is greater than anything I'm afraid of. It's a powerful passage that's kind of stuck right in the middle of all this teaching on Jesus. Suddenly, there's this passage to Theophilus that says, here's how you become a real Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.